In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. Every week, we drop a podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. We talk about films, past, present, and future, what we love, and all the fandom in between. Joining me this week on the pod, using Squadcast, the place where you can record squad uh, podcasts remotely, is my boy, Jamie Hannon. How you doing, pal? Uh, not too bad, mate. You know, a little bit overworked, a little bit underappreciated. That's why I come on here, because I'm totally underworked and overly appreciated here. So <laughs> That's very nice. You've been getting over a bit of a lurgy recently, ain't you, mate? I have, mate. So if I'm sounding a bit um, a bit bunged up, it's not it's not the audio quality, because uh, Squadcast Squad, Squad is the place you go to record your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, so it is, it's just Squadcast, give us money. <laughs> just, just give us money, squadcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's just me being a bit bunged up. That's all it is. So I do apologise now for any coughing, spluttering, and general nastiness. It's not coronavirus. I was about to say, have you been to China in the last three weeks? And I wish oh. really jokes. It is actually quite a scary thing, though, isn't it? Really, and, oh, yeah. and I got. It feels like a film, mate. It feels like a film coming to life. Very true. Uh, and I have to say, because data has shown me that we do have a lot of listeners in China. So if you are affected, you know what? Just just lock the doors, stay in. We've got over 120 podcasts for you to, to suffer <laughs> with. So, uh, so go through that. But saying that, if you had to be quarantined for two weeks, what would be like your box set of choice? What would be your thing that you would you'd lock yourself in with? Uh, Keep it clean. Okay, that's right. Okay, right. Keep it clean. I made it. Let's just narrow it down. Disappeared uh, with a box of tissues into his room for two weeks. <laughs> two weeks result. Um, oh. Joe, I've just started watching actually. Um, v, what? the American TV ah. show V, really yeah. good. It's got the uh, sort of a an air of the thick of it, and I realise why because it's got the same director, uh, same producer. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, really good. Really enjoyed it. Sort of really sort of dry British humour to it, but in an American setting. So uh been binging that for the last week reckon i've still got another week's worth of binging on that so yeah probably that how about you nice uh just been getting into picard like how how good's picard oh it's so good it is so ridiculously good i love that man he should be in everything just like he's he's still got it like how like I, i don't want to do any spoilers but just Give that man a command again. He is a legend. He's Jean-Luc Picard. Oh. So for the uninitiated, there's a new season of TV show in the Star Trek universe dropping each week on Amazon Prime in the UK anyway. I think it's on uh, I think it's on Stars in the US, but please correct me if I'm wrong on that. Basically, it's Picard. It's what happened after the films, what happened after the next generation, set it off into that horizon. And you know what? When I first heard this, I thought, oh, this is just a a cash grab it's a yeah it might as well just be a reunion special because it's been a long time since these people been on no they have come to make a fucking show and this has got big movie budget behind it It is so good what about that that about ruining it too much but that speech he gives man in the first episode oh Oh my god it's just tingles oh just sean luke he's such a hero joe i went uh what was it it must have been the summer before i settled down uh, so two summers ago, I spent the whole summer holidays binging Next Generation Star Trek. It was the greatest summer on record. Full stop. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> incredible. That, that's, that's the story. That's the story. Just, just a fuckload of Jean-Luc Picard. I didn't see the sun for six weeks, but I saw a fuckload of Jean-Luc Picard, and that's all that matters. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I've got to be honest. So earlier on this week, we done an interview in a studio in London and it was absolutely incredible. But it was a, it was like, oh, do you mind bringing your stuff? And I was like, all right, cool. So I bought my mic, I had all my stuff set up and I can't even say because I signed an NDA over who it was, but you'll hear about it in a couple of weeks time. But I'd done the biggest schoolboy error, right? <sighs> so I, I stopped by a vending machine. I got a bottle of, uh, of, coke zero and i opened the bottle and i sat it next to the microphone and then like halfway through i couldn't help but notice there was this noise and i was like and i stopped halfway through and i just had to say i am so sorry 
can you tell it's one of my first times? And we had a bit of a joke. And uh, I was just like, yeah, um, I'm going to have to start the whole thing again. <laughs> oh, awkward. Do you have to like pretend to laugh at the same little jokes and stuff? Uh, no, um, because they were like, actually, I'm kind of glad because I've done a shit intro. And I was like, oh, my God, like, and you're a professional. So if you don't like yeah. your intros, then uh, then none of us have got any fucking hope. But, uh, but yeah, that was a bit of behind the curtain there. Anyway, let's start crack on with our first review. Can I help you? Why, yes, yes, you can. I'm here to report a terrible crime. And what terrible crime is that? This one. Ah, shit. I told this all wrong. Quick history lesson. This all started when the Joker and I broke up. Birds of Prey is a film set in the DCEU. It's all very confusing at the moment because Warner Brothers has decided that they're going to double down on the things that worked, i.e. Harley Quinn, and they're going to step away from the things that didn't, i.e. Justice League. And they're doing (laughs) things like standalone movies with the Joker film, but then they're revisiting that well with Aquaman, which done over a billion dollars, expanding that universe with Shazam, whilst at the same time recasting Batman and keeping Superman fans in the lurch. So it's kind of a a weird time to be a DC fan Mm. at the moment. But Arise, Birds of Prey. This is a film directed by Kathy Yan. It's written by Christina Hodson. This has been in the works for a little while. Uh, After Suicide Squad came out, there was always talk about where we were going to go with Harley Quinn next because it's fair to say that out of that movie, although it had its problems, I think Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn was definitely something everyone can agree was a good thing. And Margot Robbie's own production company actually was on this. She was a producer on this film. And it's taken a few years to come to fruition. But here we are. This film is set after the events of of Justice League as well as Suicide Squad. It acknowledges what has come before whilst trying to set it off on its own tangent. So basically what has happened is it opens up with Harley Quinn giving kind of like a charming cartoon narrative over her history to date. And it is basically telling you that her and the Joker have broken up. There is no Joe Leto in this movie. This is solely about Harley Quinn and that she's trying to emancipate herself from the scum of Gotham. Now, she has been untouchable in Gotham for most of her criminal career because she was with the Joker. Anyone fucked with her, literally, they would be killed. And she got away with it. She lived the life of Riley. She would walk into a bar, grab a drink. She would walk into a shop, take what she wanted. She even had her own branded clothing because, you know, it's Harley Quinn. She can she do whatever the fuck she wants in Gotham. But all of a sudden, the, the word has got out. They have broken up and everyone is after her, including Black Mask, who is anyone who hears that name in the Batman lore will know of this character. Been around for a long time, played by none other than Ewan McGregor. There's also a kind of weird narrative with a diamond. I don't want to go into too much details, but essentially this film is a kind of a unreliable narrator approach of Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn narrates through the whole film, keeps going back to tell you about these new things as the story unvelops. And as we're going through this tropes to get said diamond, we are being introduced to new characters. There's Huntress, there's Black Canary, just to name but a few of this. And each time they introduces them, it gives them an origin story. It gives them an introduction. So that was a really quick sort of description of the film. But basically, it's called Birds of Prey, but it's not. It's not an ensemble movie. This is a Harley Quinn movie. This is the Harley Quinn movie that everyone wanted after Suicide Squad. Oh, wow. And uh, Rosie... um... Uh, Oh, what's her name? Rosie Perez. She's in this as well. She's got quite a big role. She she Renee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she is. So Renee Montea, she basically plays a copper in this and she's originally starts out tracking Harley Quinn, but then discovers what's going on and then joins the birds of prey. Uh, essentially, there's a kid who pickpockets one of Black Mask's goons to get said diamond called Cassandra Kane, and everyone's got to protect the kid. That's basically the narrative oh. of this film. It's hey, it's fun right it's first and foremost this is a fun film um this is far more fun than it than it should be the action this is actually like the most action i've ever seen probably in a comic book movie ever like it is fucking gruesome at times as well this really does try to be it's the deadpool of the dceu the fact that harley quinn kind of looks the camera talks the camera very fourth wall breaking very inspired by deadpool Mm. one of the cool things is is that in suicide squad they hinted at it but they never showed it is that harley quinn like her weapon of choice one of her favorite weapons is a baseball bat and in the games and in the comics, it's quite iconic. And she never really got to use it in Suicide Squad. They fucking make up for it in this movie. There's <laughs> one action scene 
where she literally bludgeons a guy with it, breaks both his legs, and just cracks it against his skull. It is bone crushing. But at the same time, you laugh just because the way it's kind of done so obscenely. The colour palette in this film as well, by the way. Jesus Christ, it looks fucking incredible. There's a scene where she breaks into a Gotham City police station with a beanbag gun, but each beanbag fires confetti and fireworks, and it's just the effects are stunning. Like It's, it's a really vibrant movie. Oh, wow. And what's the pace of it like? I've, I've heard some maybe say that the first, um, the first, because it's quite a building story. Is that right? Is the pace a bit good? Or yeah. So, so the reason where that complaint has come from is it starts out with Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn talking about the breakup and how mm. she's trying to crack on with her life. And then it tries to establish so much plot really oh. quickly in like the first 20 minutes. And then, because Harley Quinn's an unreliable narrator, it has to go back and show you stuff. And it shows you the same scenes, but from a different angle. And it might introduce a new character, or it might introduce a new plot device, which all of a sudden changes it slightly. And it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. And it's kind of interesting the way it's done. Look, when Guy Ritchie does it, we say it's fucking genius in yeah, Snatch, yeah. right? So well, I don't know why people complain too much about the pacing in here. I do have a couple of gripes, okay? So one of my gripes, and maybe I'm not the right person to be calling this out, and... Maybe I'm completely off the mark with this, so please, you know, when I when I do get this shit wrong, I do call myself out on it. But every male character in this film is either an e- is either an evil bastard or they're literally there just to slow women down. So oh. a great example is um, the copper. Like she is supposed to be one of the best cops in Gotham, uh, Renee, and she had a partner. The partner took credit for some work she done and become chief of police. And all of a sudden it's a, a man stepped on a woman sort of thing to get up. So I, I get it. This film's supposed to be female empowerment, right? I, I get it. It's supposed to, to show the things that maybe we're not privy to, but you could have at least wrote one decent male character into this. who's not an absolute fucking douchebag. You know what I'm saying? But, but yeah. you know, what do I fucking know? So I'd love to hear other people's views on that. And, and it is Gotham. Like, it is Gotham, yeah. Ninety-five percent of people who live in Gotham are douchebags. So, yeah. so yeah, I, <laughs> but I see I, your point. I, get though. It. I yeah. get it, and I get where they're trying to come from for it. And for me, like obviously, Margot Robbie's Hardy Quinn is fucking brilliant. She's hilarious. It's got the right amount of action. It's got the right amount of feel-good factor to it. You do the soundtrack's awesome. Like the color palette, like I said before, is brilliant. The action is really, really good. It's just fun. And I don't know where they go with this because I don't know if they go into another Birds of Prey sort of sequel or just follow more Harley Quinn. She's going to be in the new Suicide Squad movie, which is being directed by James Gunn at the moment. So maybe they might launch their own separate things. I don't know, but Ewan McGregor is having the fucking time of his life in this role, by the way. Like he is (laughs) generally having so much fun. Another sort of, I suppose, critique is that they spend a lot of time talking about Black Mask potentially being gay. Like they, they allure it in the, in the trailers and in this film, they never actually talk about his sexuality. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but like there's a big topic at the moment about queer baiting, about implying a character's gay without actually going full pickle with it. And I think it's just, it, I don't know. I like, there's something that's like, look, it's either the guy's gay or he's not gay, but at least if you're going to go or like touch on those things, then like, have to strengthen your convictions to go through with it if that makes sense yeah sorry i just loved the bit when you went go full pickle with it <laughs> <laughs> we don't right so they tell us that his best his best henchman is like has a his, his number one henchman has a very close relationship like they eat meals yeah. together they practice they live in the same apartment it is clearly obvious there's something more than just an employee staff relationship going on there but they never go that layer deeper but yeah mcgregor's black mask is very flamboyant he's quite <laughs> camp to an extent and it's just it feels like and there's a great article on the hollywood reporter about queer coding about how it's a thing that's coming more and more and more. And it was something that was done a long time ago and then stopped for ages because we were quite bigoted for a long time. And then they started to encode it again in films about like, like I don't know if it's important or not, but I I think my point is, is that don't pander to a demographic and not actually commit to the thing that you're trying to show representation for. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's become, I mean, uh, I don't know why, but this whole conversation reminds me of, I don't know if you saw it, but the BBC, uh, recently did a series on Dracula 
that they did like a, yeah. a and there's a lot of controversy because um there was a question about Dracula's sexuality within it and and, and there was uproar from social media from people going oh here we go pc brigade making dracula gay and it's like hold on you know bram stoker made some you know, you know sort of made some suggestions about this and and if you think about the you know the dracula films we've had over the last 20 years or so he is you know there is questions about his sexuality throughout all those films um, yeah. And I, I feel like maybe 20 years ago, in some ways, I don't know. I, 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 maybe it's a, sh- a sign of how we, you know, maybe we as a society, maybe, uh, you and me as part of the society, we don't see it as a thing. And so uh, when, when when they try and make it really obvious and overt, like they have here, but not allude to anything, it's kind of, I don't know, like we find it a bit like oh, what they're trying to say here. I mean, I... I I would say the vast majority of people of our generation have, don't care what sexuality, sexuality people are at all. You know, it, it, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but yeah, <laughs> I, I just feel like they have to make make it overt, and I get that to address the issues of underrepresentation within within Hollywood. But I, I, I don't see it as an issue anymore because I, I, it doesn't matter to me if a, if a character is, you know. Uh, lesbian, gay, queer, transgender. It, it, it's about yeah, the acting. I it's, I agree with you, but I, I don't agree with saying something is someone or something or representing something, and it feels like you're only doing it to get yeah. their money, if you yeah, know what yeah, I mean. And yeah, yeah. I don't know where that line is. I honestly don't know. And I don't know if I'm even, like, if I'm in the right person to even say it's that or not, right? It's just, mm. I just thought, it was interesting the development they went in with their development of Black Mask, and I yeah. wanted more of it. I wanted to find out more about this person, and maybe you know, it's I, I won't go into spoiler territory, but we probably won't go um, much more into that person's life, mm. and it's just a bit of a shame. And yeah, yeah. So I, Ewan McGregor absolutely knocks it out of the park. Obviously, Margot Robbie is incredible in this as well. Uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to Mary Elizabeth Winstead who plays Huntress. She's quite good in this as well. I really liked the black canary in this a lot of people have got a problem with the black canary in this because she doesn't wear the outfits from the comic she doesn't really look like the original comic book character and they kind of changed her storyline so it's not really like uh, the version that you're seeing on the screen that being said she has the canaries cry she kicks ass and she's fucking funny so you know what it's it, it suits the film it does it really well you know it's supposed to be an adaptation we're not supposed to get the exact same thing you get on the page all the time so otherwise you might as well just read the fucking comics so you know what i i generally really enjoyed this film i think it's a four out of five if i look Ooh. at what the the internet is saying the tomato meter stands at 80 percent and the audience oh. score is 81 percent unfortunately though this is not doing well in the box office um yeah it's quite tanking unfortunately i put that down to the fact they've released it on oscars weekend kind of a stupid move from that perspective and uh yeah it's warner brothers confusing themselves by saying we're gonna have standalone movies we're gonna do a standalone thing joker you like joker fantastic okay but now we're gonna revisit the stuff that is kind of canon but not canon by doing a spin-off movie with the things you did like with margot robbie and i think that's damaged it because i think like with marvel and I, I hate doing the fucking comparisons i'm sorry guys but with marvel there are 23 movies that are all linked all connected yeah. Yeah. you you for its for its faults, because you might, you know, there's an argument saying you shouldn't have to see 23 films to get another fucking film, but still, <laughs> you know what you are getting. Where yeah. in, you know, literally two months ago, Joker was out, right? And Harley Quinn, the character, is so intertwined with the Joker mythos that you're like, but you've just done a standalone thing of fucking. Like, I, I get yeah. why there's confusion. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the issue, isn't it? I think, I think it's, you know, if you take it for what it is, each individual film within a universe of possibilities for the DC universe. I think that's how you got to take it, hasn't it? But you're right. The, the Marvel one, just, I don't know, just having that overview of that, that flow throughout all of them. I think, I think, you know, maybe there's an element of DC's missing that slightly. Yeah, true. Anyway, let's talk about what the critics have said. So let's go have someone who was rotten. And this is from Kevin Mayer at the times. And I quote, it offers a hundred different versions of Robbie gurning to the camera, usually after bashing someone's head in with a baseball bat, and not a single moment to elevate the proceedings above a scrappy, screechy, second-rate cartoon hodgepodge. What a pedantic 
pretentious review. Go to hell, Kevin. That was all right, that film. Um, <laughs> to be fair, let's go. I, reading that review, right. I'd be like, yeah, I still want to see it. <laughs> you yeah. talk about like, bashing people's yeah. heads in and then gurning at the screen. Sounds bloody I've gotta, brilliant. I've got to say, Kevin, what did you expect? Yeah. What, what did you think we were going to get out of this film? Yeah. Like, well, I'd love to have said, you know what they should do? They should get like top critics to write what they expect and then show what they get and see uh, if there's actually, you know, anything in that. Anyway, uh, not to stake you off, Kevin, because you're probably much better than me. But um, let's talk about someone who loved it. So let's go with Charlotte O'Sullivan from the Evening Standard of London, who's a top critic. And I quote, You don't have to choose between Scorsese and superheroes. Let go of the guilt feel free to embrace these lesser spotted birds. And I couldn't agree more. You don't always have to have the rosebud of cinema every time you go see an action flick. Look, what you're getting, you're getting big, you're getting bold, you're getting a baseball bat around the back of the head. And guess what? This is done in a fun and hilarious way. And you know what? The person wielding the bat isn't a dude for once. So you know what? Fucking bully for it. I am definitely sticking with my score. Four out of five. Birds of Prey, the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. I will never get that title right. Abbey will stick in my head forever. Are we ready? You blow up What is one of your favourite films of all time? Spaceballs. Okay. What is one of your favourite <laughs> horror films of all time that has the word dead in it that wasn't directed by Sam Raimi? No, fuck, George A. Romero. <laughs> Bollocks. <laughs> Children of the Dead? <laughs> no, I was talking about Evil Dead, you fucker. <laughs> I know, just winding you up now. <laughs> anyway, well, I think it's fair to say that Evil Dead were quite a good movie franchise, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%, especially okay. two and three. Yes, oh, my God. I mean, don't worry, yeah. the first one is great, but the second one is, is transcendent. And the third one, you know what? It gave us a whole new genre of film. And oh, yeah. there are certain directors which you can see their fingerprints all over stuff. I'll give you an example. Um, actually, let's talk about Edgar Wright. Right, with Shaun of the Dead, with Spaced, with all these films. He does that camera yeah. switch thing, you know, like when he's making tea and stuff like yeah. that, which he took from his TV show Spaced. you got J.J. Abrams. He's always got a sun flare thing going on yeah. over the lens. And Sam Raimi basically invented a style of filming where, you know, that, that shot that comes in where the camera zooms in very quickly whilst the background's slowly moving. Yeah. He, he kind of, he kind of, I don't know if he invented it, but he definitely made it famous with those Evil Dead movies. And every time you see a film, whether that's his Spider-Man movies or anything else he makes afterwards, it's always in there. Anyway, he's going to be zooming in on Doctor Strange 2. Uh, we reported it a few oh. weeks back that um, the director, Scott Derrickson, is going to have is stepping back for those goddamn creative differences. And people <laughs> were saying, oh, it's because Disney didn't want him to make a horror movie. And... Uh, they didn't want him to feel empowered or great. So Disney pulled out their fucking dick and they went and got one of the grandfathers of horror to come in to direct this film. It's quite incredible, really, isn't it? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you got to love the money that Disney have sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I get they monopolize and there are certain things they've done which I don't personally enjoy, but you got to love it when they can make something like this happen. It's oh, just- my God, yeah. You know what? The ultimate fucking hat out of the or uh, rabbit out of the hat is going to be when Martin Scorsese comes and directs a fucking Marvel film <laughs> but yeah. uh, but anyway let's talk about this one so Sam Raimi is going to be directing Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness this is going to link in with the TV show WandaVision which is currently being made for Disney Plus at the moment obviously Benedict Cumberbatch will be back reprising his role and it will be playing off some of the tropes left in previous films but this, I think, you know, if there was any doubt about whether this was going to be a full-on horror movie, the fact they got someone like Sam motherfucking Rainey to come yeah. in and helm this shit, you know, that that basically answers all that. Has has, has Disney ever really done a horror film? Uh, they have, but they've never done it under their branding, right? So they used Bambi? to have this thing called... Does Bambi <laughs> No, it doesn't. It might be horrific in terms of emotional scarring for your life. But no, no, family doesn't doesn't count. But what what Disney used to do is whenever they were making something that might have been controversial or harming to the brand, they used to release it under Touchstone Pictures, which is what they used to do with a lot of Tim Burton stuff. Um, 
they don't necessarily do that anymore. And but now they own Fox and they own FX and they own Hulu. Uh, I can imagine. Obviously, Marvel will stay Marvel, right? And Doctor Strange yeah. Two will be under the Marvel banner. But anyone who's afraid that they're not going to make more adult stuff, you know, they'll, they'll just release it on Hulu or they'll they'll put it under a, you know the the Fox Pictures brand. I don't think that's going to change. But yeah. speaking about horror movies and horror franchises, where do you sit on the Saw franchise? Uh, I liked the first three. I think the first three might have been the only three I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I think it went nine films in, even though they killed oh their God. main dude. Spoiler nine alert films. after the third one. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I did see him die. Oh, I might have seen. I might have seen four then when his apprentice comes in. I might have seen well, that's that. the thing. He become like a cult, right? And like you yeah. say, you got apprentices, and turns out that he had more fucking plans than than anyone when he was copying it, because every film seemed to discover another fucking shot of him going, uh, uh, "I'm going to two pack this motherfucker. I'm going to put lots of plans under my bed, or like those Elvis CDs. Apparently, mm. they keep finding. Um, yeah, I mean, this so guy anyway, was quite clever. Why didn't you spend that time researching a cure? <laughs> instead of building these contraptions yeah. which can kill people in horrible yeah. ways i'm a really clever um, guy i can really kill people horrifically but you know i could, <laughs> I could use it to save myself but fuck it <laughs> nah, fuck it i'll make a good franchise said anyway this franchise has got some new life in it chris rock believe it or not is going to be he's producing and he is written and starred in he's not directing but he's basically everything but is a. Uh, is helming this new film. It's called Spiral. The trailer dropped for it the other day. It's got him and Samuel L. Jackson. Now they're saying Ooh. Spiral from the Book of Saw. Because I suppose like it's really hard to say. Because uh, if they said it's another Saw movie, people will be like, oh, fuck it, oh, mate. You yeah. said you had the final one two films ago. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it, this is interesting, man. And like Chris Rocks, like you don't think about horror when you think about him, right? Not at all. No, not really. Um, no. And the trailer looks really weird because... And I'm not saying he's not a good actor. Like I've, I've only ever seen him in like comedic roles, but he doesn't smile. And because he has spent the best part of 30, 40 years smiling, his face just looks so weird when he's not <laughs> smiling. <laughs> yeah. But it looks, it looks interesting. Yeah. I mean, if, if, I imagine he's going to have a lot of sarcasm in this because if he's, if he's not in comedy and he's not being sarcastic, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do myself. Well, a lot of people, and a lot of people, I'm not going to regurgitate the same conversation that film Twitter has every time a subject to this comes up. But when Get Out came out, because written by Jordan Peele, traditionally a comedy writer, there's always this thing about the difference between comedy and horror is timing. That's that. Yeah. It shares a lot of similarities. It's about building up to a moment and then hitting them with the moment. And the moment either elicits laughter, or in this case, a fear of dread. And this is obviously, yeah, you, know, you can see how there's so many synergies from that perspective. Samuel Jackson, you know, proving that he's still got life in him in terms of finding new and interesting roles. No one ever would have thought you'd be in a fucking Saw movie. And literally, though, it wouldn't be a Samuel Jackson appearance without him going, let's play a game then, motherfucker. Of course. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm stoked about this. I actually am interested in the Saw franchise, which I haven't been for a very long time. So let's see where they go with this. Do you think there's an element where they needed to get two big names in to make it successful? Oh, God, yeah. You know what? I'm kind of like, yes, it does share similarities with the Saw franchise, but why did it have to be in the Saw universe? Like, why didn't you just make it about a serial killer? Just a different serial killer, right? It's just, why did it need to be tethered to it? So there must be a reason other than just they're using spirals and like decorating stuff in the same way that John Saw decorated stuff. There's got to be, there's got to be a reason for it to exist. And, um, and Chris Rock really set out to, to find this. And Chris Rock really willed this into existence. So he must have a really fucking good idea. I mean, he might have stood there and gone, if motherfucking Jordan Peele can get a fucking Oscar for a horror film, I'm fucking <laughs> going for it. Maybe he just thought that instead. But uh, but who knows, man? Let's let's see. So something else to talk to you about while I've got you on, because I know you're a Star Wars man. How do you feel about this? So there was an earnings call for Disney, I think yeah. two weeks ago. And they were talking, of, they let the cat out of the bag that The Mandalorian is being filmed at the moment, the second season, and it's going to come out in October. Ooh. But they also announced that all future Star Wars movies are currently on hiatus. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, no, I agree. I think, I think, I think they really need to sit down and spend some decent time they're going to do another trilogy or they're going to do another, I don't know, set of films. They need to really think about the story and where it goes and have that overarching 
feel, which I don't feel like the last trilogy had. I think that's, I think, you know, on reflection with all its other issues, I think the big issue was I didn't feel like the storyline flowed from film to film. Yeah. I think you need to have the same right. team, same producer, same director where possible. And then well, at least the same producer and then just create three films that link together. Um, I mean, they've, obviously the DeLorean has had huge success uh, in America and I'm sure it will here in the UK when it eventually comes out. Uh, and I yeah, can't wait to sake, see it. Uh, Drop the fucking TV show now, you bastards! Yeah, yeah, can't can't wait until I can see it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I I can't wait to see it for the first time and not through scrupulous means. <laughs> no, I've heard it's superb though. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, the Mandalorian is 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 superb. Did I call it the, the Delor- Did I just call it the Delorean a second ago? I, I think the Lem Sip is having its effects, yes. But uh, we know what you okay. mean, man. Okay, like, it's yeah. a great show. It was a great oh, my show. God. The... If they mix the Mandalorian with Back to the Future, that would be amazing. He's going to grab Pedro Pascal. We have to talk about your kids. And it's not with that baby Yoda. Oh, no, I said it. And, uh, <laughs> but um, do you think this is the end of the Ryan Johnson trilogy? Uh, do you think this is it? It's stopped now. Like, it's not happening. That is the million dollar question. I think, I, I mean, Disney must have its reasons. I mean, uh, they've been pretty persistent throughout all the criticism through the, the triple film. So uh, I, I may, maybe they just weren't happy with the direction it was going. And so that's why they've called a little hiatus yeah. to, uh, to get a more coherent storyline. And I think if you can produce that, then I think that's, they'll go forward with it. But um I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm happy that they are taking a minute to reflect back because let's face it, The Force Awakens and Rogue One, even though Rogue One had a bunch of production problems, they're the only real hits. Yeah. Critically, yeah. anyway. Yes, there'll be someone out there who says that The Last Jedi is like the best out of the fucking trilogy. They're probably the same motherfuckers who think Attack of the Clones is incredible. Like, there'll be people out there that you'll always find fans. Fans exist for everything. Course, There'll be yeah. a fa- there are fans of this podcast, believe it or not. <laughs> now, there are, there's always people that like stuff just as much as always people that hate stuff. But it is fair to say that, especially with the way the story unfolded in The Rise of Skywalker, that more care was needed in the act of storytelling. Yeah. And some people will give me an essay as to why that's a load of bullshit and I should shut the fuck up. But what I do know is that when you have a plan, when you have a vision, when you have an overarching narrative for a free arc structure, and that's what a trilogy is, is a free arc structure, they tend to be better. So yeah. this and then storytelling did not work out. Now, they were due to start filming something next year, which means they needed to start staffing up now. And they did have a plan. They had the guys from Game of Thrones writing a trilogy. They said to Ryan Johnson, here, have a trilogy. They were like, fucking Oprah, you get a trilogy. You get a trilogy. James Mangold, you're going to write something for us. You know what? That's all great when everyone is fucking singing your praises and you're making billions upon billions. And don't get me wrong, these films are still making billions. But there is a downward trajectory on that income. And at some point, the stakeholders are going to step in and say, you had something that was making $3 billion, is now making $1 billion. There's only one way that direction is going to go if you keep fucking this up. So please take a moment. And this is that moment. Now, Star Wars, in my mind, is a cultural event. It's a generational thing. Okay, Our parents loved the original trilogy. We, for our faults, grew up on the prequel trilogy. And now our children, and maybe people a little bit younger than us, they're going to turn around and say that Daisy Ridley is their fucking Luke Skywalker. Is their Skywalker. She fucking says it at the end. Spoiler alert. And you know what? For better or worse, that is their movie. And that means we need to go another 10, 20 years. And the world's evolved. And our fondness for these films will come back again to the point where something like The Force Awakens will happen. And they'll tell us a new story in a galaxy far away because it's a big galaxy and there's lots of interesting stories to tell. But you only continue to tell those stories when you do it right. And let's be honest, they haven't done it as well as they could have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. I'm down for them waiting. Yeah, definitely. I think that, that sometimes patience is key. Exactly. Well, what they're not fucking patient about is the Fast Nine trailer that dropped the other day. <laughs> so, um, this is in- I'm 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 captivated by this because 
you had this tr- this first off these films which were okay but then all of a sudden survived themselves to become these amazing action blockbusters that each gross a billion dollars and the cast is sprawling you had vin diesel helming it for a long time then he clashed with the rock and then the rock become the biggest actor on the planet to the point where they've gone right you know what we're going to start a new fast and furious franchise with the rock and Vin Diesel can carry on with the normal ones so they yeah. don't have to be in the same room. It's just, oh, I love it. I love the fucking drama. Anyway, Fast 9, the trailer dropped. It introduced us John Cena, and he's going to be playing Vin Diesel's brother because sometimes not all blood is family. <laughs> and uh, I feel like there's this whole element of, look, everyone knows these films are batshit crazy. We know they're fucking trash, whilst at the same time being excellent. And everyone's in on this except Vin Diesel, who generally thinks like he is making art, which is going to transcend <laughs> the ages. And there's an argument to say he might be right. And this trailer fucking, again, it's just action. It's off the fucking walls. It's batshit crazy. Where do you sit with the Fast and Furious franchise? Uh, well, I quite enjoyed Hobson Shaw. I thought that was quite uh, a good spin-off. Nathan, um, love him. Yeah, that's it. You got stay from the rock in the film. Like, what could go wrong? You throw Samuel Jackson into that, and you've got an orgasm. You know, it's just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know what else you need. But um, I, I got to admit, I think I saw the first two, and then I just lost interest. But I, after that intro you just gave, I feel like I should go back and watch the other seven now. Oh, mate, uh, like. I don't know when it happens. Maybe at the fifth movie, possibly the sixth. Basically, when they introduce The Rock as a character, the film just gets a lot better. And I'm not saying all you got to do is put The Rock in a film and it's good. Maybe it's just you know timing and writing and yeah. budget. But all of a sudden, these films just become like like you know like Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible started out incredible and then had a bit of a dip, and then for yeah. whatever reason. They got amazing, like whether that's when Christopher McCorey got involved or or Tom Cruise started producing more or I don't know. It survived itself to become transcendent. And that's mm. what happened with the Fast franchise. I've got to be honest. Have you seen Tokyo Drift? Uh, yes. So at some point after Tokyo Drift, they kill off Han, right? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, uh, it's not a spoiler alert. If you follow the film, you fucking get it. And he was killed by Jason Statham's character. And Jason Statham was the bad guy. He killed one of the fast guys, right? Everyone fucking hated him. And then they made him a good guy to the point where he has his own spinoff. They've now managed to somehow, that's, I don't know, and I'm going to love to see how they do this because you know it's going to be terrible. They brought Han back. And what? hashtag justice for Han started trending. <laughs> and they're going to have to deal with this thing of, oh shit, the bad guy from our film killed one of those guys. And we're going to have to fucking answer this in some size, shape or form. So I can't wait to see how that goes. <laughs> so for any of our British listeners there, this sounds like a Dirty Den EastEnders plot line here. Oh, it's totally Dirty Den. <laughs> it might as well be called Fast Than the den in <laughs> That was terrible, but you get my point. Yeah, <laughs> Han done yeah. the dirty and comes back. And I've got to say this as well. John Cena is slowly and quietly taking over Hollywood. I'm yeah. seeing him in more and more films, whether that's in voice acting, which he does in uh, in the later review we do, actually. But he is slowly emerging as a fucking talent. Now, he's great. Anyone, he is superb. He's so good, isn't he? And yeah. there is this whole thing about, look, if you're in wrestling, if you can do the camera work, if you can do the, you know, the, the crowd stuff, then there's an argument to say that you should be able to do the acting stuff really well. And there's exceptions to the rule. I think The Rock is an exception to the rule because, let's face it, most wrestlers aren't actually very good actors. But I think John Cena is proven to be another exception to the rule. He's, he's just brilliant. What about The Hulk? Hulk Hogan. Oh, what? Secret Agent Club. <laughs> and, and, the, uh, and The Nanny? Was it called The Nanny? The Nanny, yeah. 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 Oh, and he, who can forget? gremlins gremlins uh, 2 yeah where he he goes hulkamania on him uh, yeah so that's my point in case right there's, there's not many of them and uh john cena's looking fucking great in them so i i refuse to believe though that vin diesel and john cena are cut from the same fucking cloth like they, yeah. they cannot be related it's, it's not true but yeah. um yeah. That's, that's you know, an interesting dynamic there. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about the Oscars in a moment, only briefly, because I'll probably do a special um, on that probably later on in the week. Because believe it or not, people actually really like that one man fucking run for I done from that, and people are asking nice. about it again today. But um, also, the other night was the Spirit Awards, which is for the independent film societies of the world, but mainly American movies. And Adam Sandler won his award for Uncut Gems. 
and I have to, I want to talk about it for a minute because his acceptance speech, like I, I am one of those critics. I, I, am I a critic? I don't know, but I'm one of those people that says, you know what? The, the days of Adam Sandler being funny are way past him. Now I can eat a bag of fucking dicks because he is so fucking funny in this acceptance speech. He puts on a voice like he's Adam Sandler voice. And the way he reads his acceptance speech, he just goes, I was famously snubbed by the Academy. <laughs> and, the way he fucking talks. and he literally describes everyone picking up their Oscars as long hair, jacket wearing motherfuckers. And he just absolutely goes off on one. But he does it in such a charming way, in a way where he doesn't apologize for the films that he's done. But he's very, very grateful. And he still, you know, there's one bit where he even says, uh, it's been 11 years since anyone actually liked any of my fucking movies. And it was just the the way he done it. And I am so happy that he got some recognition because Uncut Gems is very good. John, who's not on the pod today, but he'll be on next week at some point, is going to drop his review for that. He's uh, He's got some thoughts. So I'll be interested to hear about that. But yeah, man, where does Adam Sandler hold in your heart? Oh, I, I, I don't think any one of our generation can't say that Adam Sandler holds a special place in their heart. Like, you know, if you think about the films like Billy Madison and... Uh, Little Nicky. Little Nick. Oh, Little Nicky. Yeah, I mean, just... Yeah, wedding singer. Uh, yeah, well, wedding singer. Oh, my God. I mean, he was brilliant. And then he just went through this period of just mass-producing films, and it didn't feel like it had the same Adam Sandlerness to it. Like, I mean, oh, I, I would oh, say I've, I've watched the majority of his films, and even, like, the awful ones. Oh, what was that one where he played um a woman as well jane and jack oh my god uh, jack and jill dude that's terrible jill. it's terrible don't tell me it's good oh no i'm not gonna say it's good but there is still elements of that which i laughed at because it was just the whole stupid adam sandlerness to it if that makes sense yeah, so yeah. There was still that, those moments where you did go <laughs> you know you laughed out loud um i it, i'm just, i'm like you said i'm so pleased that he's he's got some recognition um because he is a he is a great actor as well. He is a good actor, yeah. um, uh, and 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 he's and he is a great comedian. Um, and I think all comedians go through like a a bit of a period, don't they, where they where they sort of stray from what they're famous for. Because I think they want to diversify a little bit, and it's when they get back to what they're truly good at that you sort of remember how how funny you were. I mean, just just naming a few of those films there that you mentioned, I. I want to go back and watch them again. They're, they're bloody hilarious. Yeah, I think they, they owe a certain thing to the time period they were made in, you know, because yeah. I don't know if you could make uh, Billy Madsen <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, right? yeah probably not. Um, but I think, was, first of all, he's from a fucking school of comedy, which you cannot get better than. He used to hang out with people like Chris Farley, David Spade, all those sort of guys, right? I'm not yeah. saying some of those are role models. I'm just saying at their peak, they were very funny people. Yeah. And he kind of bled in his own gang of guys right he introduced us some people are fucking hilarious some people uh uh uh, uh yeah that kevin not kevin smith who's it i can't remember his name now i oh, keep confusing him with kevin smith no uh the the fat dude who done um oh the mall cop, mall cop. Film. yeah i love him paul black mall cop yeah brilliant uh he's oh, i know you love him i love him he's great i think he's hilarious uh kevin it's kevin uh, something so, isn't it? it's uh, on the tip of my tongue but um but anyway, my point is, is that he and he looks after those guys, right? Apparently, he done that part. Of the the big Netflix deal he done was making sure that all his friends got paid a lot of money, which yeah. you know I think that's great. Um, but you then get films like Grown Ups and and oh, Grown Ups Two. I quite and like. I know Grown-ups. you like them. You do like shit comedies, don't you? I mate? do like shit comedies. It's true. <laughs> it is true. But what I also love is that in every film Adam Sandler makes. He makes sure that his wife or his girlfriend or the girl that he's oh pursuing my God. is like the most yeah. attractive oh, woman in the world. Yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, that's my wife. Like, it's funny, didn't she? <laughs> like, like, he's, he's doing exactly what I would do. <laughs> yeah, all right, fair enough. But anyway, yeah, and to your point, he's a damn fine actor. You know, yeah. Punch Drunk Love, go see that. Even in that, oh, I can't remember what it's called, the Mouse Witch, not Mouse Witch, uh, the Mayor Witch stories on Netflix. We pre- we reviewed that about a year ago. Yeah, it's pretentious as fuck, but he's a great actor. Yeah. And um, 51st yeah, yeah, Dates, is that him as well? 51st Yeah, 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 51st Dates. He's great, great you know, as So, you know, maybe this leads to other stuff. You know, who knows? Um, just to wrap off news, 
Disney have spent $75 million acquiring the rights to make a live-action Hamilton movie. Mm. Now, I'm not a musical guy, but I fuck it. I've heard of Hamilton. Everyone yeah. has heard of this fucking musical. It's done so well. Lin-Manuel Miranda, such a great guy, and you know, it's done so well. But this is just a license to print money for Disney now, surely. Yeah, and Hamilton, it's comedy, right? If I'm thinking right, is it? It's a comedy story about the, the forefathers of America. Am I, am I right thinking? That? Yes. Yeah. 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 So it, it's. I, I've got to admit, it's, a, it's on one of my list of, of films to see. Uh, not films. Um, uh, plays to see actually, because uh, it, it's had rave reviews, hasn't it? It's, it's not been on the scene for mm. very long. Has it? Has it only been about ten, fifteen years? It's been on the on the scene. Uh, no, five years, actually. And years? One Gee. of the interesting things, yeah, there's kind of a school of thought that for you to adapt a musical, it should it should be out there for a while. Like They usually yeah. say 10 years before they adapt it. But because this has been such a cultural hit, because it makes you, yes, it's, it's a great comedy, but it actually does make you think a lot about, about sexuality, about race, about, about neutral. I think, I, and please forgive me if I'm wrong on this, people, only from what I heard. My understanding is that in the Broadway musical, they they are race neutral with their casting. So they don't like, they, they don't think about the race of the person. They literally just go with, you know, who the most talented person is for the role. And that has been kind of a breath of fresh air in that sort of world. And, you know, hopefully they do the same in the film, but obviously this was, this is the brainchild of in part of Lynn memory Miranda, who's obviously gone on to amazing things, both on and behind cameras as well. So yeah, this is going to be interesting. And, I haven't had a chance to see the play yet because I don't have a spare £200 to go see it. But um, if this opens up to a newer audience, then then great. But then again, we had Cats recently and that was fucking shit. So maybe need to uh, <laughs> temper expectations. Yeah, I've got I did like Les Mis though. I did like the, the, the film production of Les Mis. I thought that was quite good. And Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd with old... Uh... It was oh, the most was Tim burton Tim Burton yeah. thing I've ever seen. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, it's still very enjoyable. Um, so let's run like I say I'll do a proper in-depth analysis uh, later on in the week but in regards to the Oscars you know in case you weren't aware let's run through the headlines so best supporting actor Brad Pitt once upon a time in Hollywood fucking brilliant his acceptance speech was just so classy he's just a classy dude isn't he Brad yeah oh yeah it's Brad Pitt isn't it Yeah, what what more can you say, right? What more can you say? Uh, I was quite surprised about this. Best animated feature was Toy Story 4. I know a lot of people would go, but it's a Pixar movie. Pixar movies. Yeah, but this wasn't a particularly good one, was it? And, um, but it, it won despite all of the, all the other films winning awards pretty much in every other category that they were entered in other award ceremonies. I think that's just them, you know, greasing the wheels with their relationship with Pixar. Uh, Best original screenplay was Parasite. I was really hoping that Knives Out would win it, but no Parasite won and a worthy winner nonetheless. Best adapted screenplay, Jojo Rabbit. Taika Waititi's speech was hilarious, but what was even more hilarious was his after speeches. He was doing a big thing in front of the cameras, and he had literally, it was like a scene from a film. There was thousands of cameras taking pictures of him standing in front of a thing posing with his statue. And they said, oh, do you think um, next time you're hosting a Writers Guild of America meeting, it's going to give you more clout when coming up with requests for writers? And he said, oh, absolutely. And they're like, oh, so what are the next things you're going to help for, for writers? And he's just like, Apple, your keyboards are terrible. Make a better <laughs> keyboard. And he spent he used his platform then just to spend ages talking about Apple keyboards. I, was, I thought that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Um, so best live action short the uh, the neighbor's wit- uh, window uh, i haven't really seen it so i can't really comment best animated short hair love now there's something really beautiful about this the director tweeted a still from a storyboard in 2016 saying mark my words this is a fucking oscar winner and he only went and bloody done it so fair play to him best production design once upon a time in hollywood you yeah, know no arguments yeah, there fair enough Best costume design, Little Women. Uh, I think because this was the only thing really that Little Women got a nomination for, despite it having an amazing cast, despite it grossing over a billion dollars and getting critical success. Um, so I think this was kind of like it was a shoe in from that perspective. Uh, best documentary, American Factory. Uh, best supporting actress. You know, this was set in stone, really. Laura Dern, she literally won every other. Yeah. Uh, version of this award across the board so you knew that was coming best cinematography you know 1917 was bound to win it because the whole one shotness about it 
Uh, best sound editing, Ford and Ferrari, because cars. Mm, there we go. Um, <laughs> best sound mixing, and someone gave a really in-depth analysis, the difference between sound editing and sound mixing. I'll retweet that later, but 1917 was the winner. Uh, best visual effects, again, 1917. Uh, I was gutted it wasn't Avengers Endgame because that's the only recognition they got. Rise of Skywalker, for its faults, did do some amazing things, as did The Lion King, so it was a kind of a contentious... Uh, thing to to work on and um, best makeup and hair went to bombshell best international feature film was parasite and of course the big one was for the best film which went to parasite as well best actress renee zellweger she pulled a weird face on stage again and her acceptance speech was boring as fuck joaquin phoenix gave another acceptance speech opening up the curtains of how society should do a little bit better let's hope it actually does something and best director went to the man Bong Joon-ho for Parasite and anyone who was complaining about the fact that he didn't bother to speak in English. A, it's not that he didn't bother. He spoke in his naked native tongue and he had a translator with him. So what the fuck else did you want for the love of God? Anyway, fair play. And that is a very fucking whistle-stop tour of the Oscars. Like I say, I'll go into more analysis and things like that. Jamie, did you have a chance to actually catch any of the Oscars stuff? Oh, I have to be honest, mate. Like, I, you know, I like films. I appreciate films. Watching people get awards, I have to do that enough in my job, mate. <laughs> like, watch kids get, oh, here's the best art. You know, here's the best kid at, at art this year. Brilliant. Here's the kid, best kid at maths. Bloody brilliant. I'm not going to watch it on TV as well, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I watch the highlights every year. <laughs> there you go. Well, that is your news for this week. I see trees of green. Red roses too I see them bloom for me and you And I think to myself Are you Dr. Doolittle? It's not very good. <laughs> Joe, you know what? I was, I was gonna, hope to, I was gonna hope to interject you and go. Please tell me it's good because I know the missus wants to see it. But everything about the trailers and everything from trailers like that have told me about anything in life that is probably going to be terrible. Uh, well, so. let, let me let me explain as to why because I feel like I'm doing it a disservice just by going it's not very good and leaving it at that. So <laughs> this film started life in many incarnations. For the last ten years, the franchise of Doolittle has been sitting on the shelf to be used, and other people have pitched various different versions of this. Now, this is a version very much based on the original novels. This yeah. is a version which has been looking for a star for a long time. Now, Robert Downey Jr. was in between filming Endgame and Infinity War, in between those movies at the time and was looking for his next big gig and an opportunity came up to play this he looked at the original script and said i absolutely love it so this is set in victorian era england dr doolittle has happened dr doolittle exists this is not an origin story he has confined himself to his manor which he only lives in as a recluse with his animals and he has to go on a voyage to save none other than the queen of england she has come down with a virus and he needs to travel across the world to get a basically a MacGuffin to save the queen with his animals helping him along the way and robert downey jr loved the story and said go for it now the original version of this film was made three years ago and the original version of this film was viewed two and a half years ago and the studio went this is a pile of fucking shit (laughs) we need to fucking deal with this and zeph rogan was parachuted in to give it some script treatment and he added some zingers and managed to make it a little bit better. But then he was parachuted out and they got other writers in to try and you know, basically finish this film off or try and find a way of putting this together. Now, Robert Downey Jr. got more involved and more involved and more involved, not just from an acting perspective, but then from a producing perspective. He put together a company with his wife and there's a company now called Team Downey and Team Downey was producing this film. Now, again, they decided to go film more stuff. The animals in this are all CG, obviously, because you can't train a panda to to pilot a ship because that would be silly. And they got lots of amazing cast members. You've got people like John Cena. You've got Rami Malek, just to name but a few of the big names that are part of this film. Tom Holland even lends his voice to this as well as the voice of an adorable dog. But you know what? 
it's just not good. There's a lot of things that do not work out in this film. They have tried to salvage a movie. They went back and refilmed and remade the ending to try and make it land the ship, and it just doesn't work. And here's the biggest thing. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. has decided that he has done accents throughout his career. He's done English accents in many of films. Think of his Guy Ritchie movies as Sherlock yeah. Holmes. So the studio insisted that it was not an English accent. And he, if you listen to the Joe Rogan experience, he'd done an interview a couple of weeks ago, and it's fascinating. I highly, highly recommend it. He spent a good hour talking about his career, about yeah. moving on from Avengers, and his love for this project. And he decided to do a bunch of research, and he found this druid doctor based in Wales that lived like 50 years ago. He found lots of videos of him, really eccentric guy, and he decided to base his Doctor Doolittle on this guy. But they've already filmed the stuff. So they dubbed over Robert, whatever accent Robert Downey Jr. had in the movie with his new Welsh accent, boy because I'm Welsh and this is how we do things now. And it's so jarring and so bad. I don't know if it's just because we're so used to Tony Stark and yeah. seeing Tony Stark try and sound like Tom Jones does not work. And it, they dubbed it. That yeah, sounds because it was, it was already filmed. It was already done. So they had to go back and dub that over it. This sounds fucking shit. <laughs> like, why'd you do that? That makes sense. In, an interesting fact for you, though. Uh, you know what he does with his hat as Dr. Doolittle, you know, when he flips it onto his head sort of thing? Yeah. Um, that's the same trick he learned when he did Sherlock. Oh, so, really? Yeah. It was the same thing. It's so probably the most interesting thing about the film. <laughs> uh, there is literally a scene where, because they discover, it's not a spoiler alert, they, well, it probably is, but fuck it, you're not going to see it at this point. Um, <laughs> they discover a dragon, and Dr. Doolittle speaks to said dragon, and it turns out that Why the not? dragon had a blockage in its colon, and literally there's a scene of him just basically fisting a dragon. That's the only way to describe it. And, um, yeah. To be fair, but to be fair, original. Yeah, yeah you, you, you can't fault its originality, to be fair. <laughs> but um, you know what? The fact that there's hardly been any promotion in this, the fact that they've released it on Oscars weekend, the fact that yeah. they are very quickly trying to forget about this movie, you know, shows that they didn't have much faith in this. The press screenings were quite close to the release date, as well as the embargo. A lot of people are kicking this. I'm not going to go through what the critics have said because they really have kicked the shit out of it. And <laughs> I don't want to do that because I, I took my daughter and oh, my yeah. daughter she's free she's quite you know she's she's a hard kid to please and uh she said it was okay but i kept saying (laughs) what was your favorite scene and she goes the scene with the bats and that's because that was the last scene (laughs) oh so that's scathing man that's fucking scathing yeah even my three-year-old didn't like it (laughs) yeah exactly but here's the thing that i get really upset about with this movie is that on paper the ingredients for this film it's yeah. fucking there to be had, man. Robert Downey Jr. looking for something to embark on after his Marvel career, and he gives it his all. And just, yeah. like, the cast, like, if you go down that list, you've got Antonio Banderas, you've got, like I mentioned, you've got John Cena voicing in this as well, you've got Octavia Spencer. You know, there's so many people. Ralph Fiennes, so many amazing people have lended their voices to this. Great effects. Like, the effects look great, apart from, again, it's another critique, um, they didn't get the proportions right when they were filming this originally. So the eye level that people have when they're talking to animals is completely fucking wrong. So they'll literally, like, they'll decide to switch around the character with a polar bear instead of a monkey. But obviously a polar bear is not fucking taller. So they'll just be looking downwards when they should be looking up. It's just, it's just a case of, look, they realised they screwed the pooch and they weren't going to invest any more money than they already had in correcting these scenes. So they released what they got. And the whole accent thing, like... It started to work towards the end, but maybe because you've had the best part of 110 minutes of Robert Downey Jr. doing a weird Tom Jones impression, that eventually you accept it, but it's really jarring at first. Yeah, well, that's disappointing, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) you can't get much more damning than that, can you, really? Yeah, I mean, I'm even hesitant to give it a score because, yeah, that's just like, it just feels like it's kicking, you know, uh, pardon the pun, the dog when it's down, but... I it's probably a one or two out of five. It's really disappointing. Um, and doing the research because like I I hate just sitting on here and going all right shit move on. Um, there's like 
a lot of people have worked really, really hard in this film. So you want to like understand where maybe some of the things have not necessarily gone the direction it should have. And they're probably still very proud of the film they've made. And yeah. probably rightfully so, because it's probably better than anything I'll ever fucking make. But yeah, there's definitely something to be said about the effort that went into this and you applaud that, but the execution, like maybe it's the director wasn't the right person. Maybe they should have got the accent thing nailed before filming. Maybe they just, it just didn't work. Who knows? But they were hoping for this to launch a whole franchise of movies with Robert Downey Jr. playing this character for many years to come. That is not happening. This is definitely not going to make its money back. So anyway, I'll leave it at that. And I'll say two out of five do little. It does little to move me. told me there'd be a dragon I'm too beautiful to die Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've liked this, if you like the cut of our jib and you're willing to go a little bit further, then you know what? Click on that down subscribe button, baby, because then you'll get more content sent to you. Also, why I've got you, we're going to be doing a giveaway this week to mark the, the release of Birds of Prey. We've got some Funko, some Harley Quinn Funko to give out. All you're going to have to do is retweet a post that I'm going to be putting in the description here. It's only going to go for a week, so if you're listening to this in the fucking future, thank you for listening to this podcast in the future but unfortunately it would have closed so check the tweets because in the thread we'll announce the winner as we always do etc etc t's and c's apply and all that bollocks but more importantly jamie how can people find you find me on twitter at mr hannon in space hannon in space next week we will be reviewing sonic the hedgehog i went to the screener of that last week but i am under embargo so i can't tell you if it's good or bad but it's and i'll talk about it next week uh, also got a bunch of other stuff going uh, i've got a chat with secret cinema coming up which i'll be sharing about as well hang in there stay filmy till next time <laughs>